Did Jesus ever directly claim to be God? Did he ever say, I am God? Well, there are several groups in the United States that do not believe Jesus ever claimed to be God and that he is not God or was not God in the flesh. Those groups say that the followers of Jesus claim that about him, but he never claimed it himself. Are, are they accurate? Those groups include the Jehovah Witnesses. They, they believe that. They, don't, they do not believe Jesus is God. The Mormons do not believe Jesus is God. Oneness Pentecostalism does not believe that. Scientology does not believe it. The Unity Church does not believe it. Christadelphians do not believe it. So why do we believe that Jesus is God? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons, and welcome to Truth 101, a systematic theology where we're looking at the doctrines of the faith in a systematic way much on par with the university uh, level uh, study of, of the doctrines of Christianity. And we're now looking at the deity of Jesus and in, in looking in the 200 series of the person of Christ. In the first three podcasts, we looked at the humanity of Jesus. And now in these next three podcasts, we will look at the deity of Jesus. The fact that God, Jesus was both God and man, 100% God and 100% man at the same time. So let's get started. And to complete the biblical teaching about Christ, I, I believe that we must affirm not only his humanity, but I believe it's important that we also affirm that he was fully divine. He, he was God in the flesh. Now, the word does not explicitly occur in Scripture, but the church has used the term incarnation to refer to the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh. In fact, you can just see the word incarnation, break it down, and you see that it is God in the flesh. And the incarnation was the act of God the Son, whereby He took to Himself human nature. And the scriptural proof of the deity of Christ really is very extensive throughout the New Testament, and that's what we're going to be looking at for the next three podcasts. Now, in this podcast, I want us to look at the direct scriptural claims of Christ concerning himself. In other words, let's look at what he said about himself, and then in the next podcast, we will look at some of the things he did that affirmed his deity as well. But in this podcast, let's primarily focus on his words, things that he said, direct scriptural claims from Christ that, yes, he is God in the flesh. First of all, the word God is used of Christ. The word theos, meaning God, is usually reserved in the New Testament for God the Father. But there are several passages where it is used to refer to Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, this is significant because in all of these passages, the word God is used in the strong sense to refer to the one who is the creator of heaven and ruler of all, but yet includes Christ. These passages include John 1.1, in the beginning was, was the word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1, 18. 
Um, you look at other, John 20, 28, Romans 9, 5, Hebrews 1, 8 is actually quoting Psalm 45, 6, 2 Peter 1, 1. It's, it's enough to note that there are at least seven passages in the New Testament that clearly and explicitly refer to Jesus as God. In fact, one Old Testament example of the name God applied to Christ is seen in a very familiar messianic passage. You remember Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, now listen, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. There you go. Even the Old Testament says when Jesus comes, his name is going to be Mighty God. So, first of all, we see that the word God is used of Jesus. Second of all, the word Lord is used of Jesus. The word Lord. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, the word Lord, or Kyrios, is used simply as a polite address to a superior roughly equivalent to our word meaning sir. In fact, sometimes whenever the word Lord is used in the New Testament, some translations translate it sir. So it simply can sometimes mean master of a servant. But the very same word, kyrios, is also used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was commonly used at the time of Christ, Sometimes in the Septuagint, as a translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the covenant God of the Old Testament, is the word Lord. So it was not just used as a polite address, it was used as the name of covenant Yahweh God. The word Kyrios is used to translate the name of the, of the Lord 6,814 times in the Greek Old Testament. Therefore, any Greek-speaking reader at the time of Jesus in the New Testament who had any knowledge at all of the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, would have recognized that in contexts where it was appropriate that the word Lord was the name of the one who was the creator and the sustainer of heaven and earth. Lord was omnipotent God. Lord was Yahweh. Now, there are many instances in the New Testament where Lord is used of Jesus. In what can only be understood as the strong Old Testament sense, Lord, who is Yahweh or God Himself. Now, this use of the word Lord is quite striking in the word of the angel to the shepherds in Bethlehem, Luke 2.11. For unto you is born... This day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. Those, these, words are, the, these words are familiar to us from frequent reading of the Christmas story. We should realize how surprising it would be to any first century Jew to hear that someone born as a baby was the Christ and that this one who was the Messiah was also the Lord, our God himself. So the amazing force of the angel's statement 
which the shepherds could hardly believe was essentially saying, today in Bethlehem, a baby has been born who is your Savior and Messiah, who is also God himself. So it's not surprising at all that Luke 2.18 tells us all the shepherds just wondered at all that had been told them. Let's go a little further. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth several months before Jesus was to be born, Elizabeth says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Luke 1.43. Because Jesus was not even born. Elizabeth could not be using the word Lord to mean something like a polite address or a human master. He hadn't been born yet. So Elizabeth must be using the word Lord in the strong Old Testament sense, giving us a sentence such as, why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord God himself would come to me? So this is a very strong statement. Difficult to understand the word Lord in this context in any other sense other than this baby that's going to be born of Mary is God. Now here's another example. We go to Matthew. Matthew tells us John the Baptist is the one who's crying in the wilderness. Matthew 3, 3, quote, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So in doing this, John is quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3, which speaks about the Lord God himself coming to his people. But the context applies the passage to John's role of preparing the way for Jesus to come. So the implication in John's words, when Jesus comes, it will be the Lord himself in the flesh who is coming. Wow. Now, Jesus also identifies himself as the sovereign Lord of the Old Testament whenever he asked the Pharisees about Psalm 110, verse 1. He asked them this in Matthew twenty-two forty-four. 44. Jesus asked them, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Lord said to my Lord, so the force of this statement is that God the Father said to Jesus the Son, David's Lord, sit at my right hand. Now the Pharisees would have known exactly Jesus was talking about himself and they would have known he was identifying himself as one worthy of the Old Testament title Kyrios, Lord, which meant God himself. You know, as we go to the epistles, the apostle Paul did something similar. He used the word Lord, a common name to refer to Christ all the way through. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul says, There's one God, the Father, from whom all things are and for whom all things exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is called Lord in this sense that affirms his deity over 400 times in the New Testament. Actually, 447 in the ESV. Let me say that again. Jesus is called Lord in the sense that it affirms deity more than 400 times 
in the New Testament. Now, one final uh, word about the, the word Lord. Let's go to Revelation 19.16. And here, Christ is explicitly spoken of as the eternal Lord of heaven and earth who created all things and it will remain the same forever and ever. In Revelation 19.16, some strong usage of the term Lord is used to refer to Christ culminating everything. Where it says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No doubt, the word God and the word Lord both point to the strong deity of Jesus in the New Testament. Yes, Jesus did claim to be God. Now, we looked at the word God and looked at the word Lord. I want us to see now some other strong claims to, to deity of Jesus from the New Testament, and then we'll wrap up this podcast. In addition to the uses of the word God and Lord to refer to Christ, we have other passages that strongly claim deity for Christ. When Jesus told his Jewish opponents, John 8, 57, that Abraham had seen his day, Christ's day, they challenged him. You're not 50 years old. You've not seen Abraham. And here, a sufficient response to prove Jesus' eternal nature would have been before Abraham was, I was. But Jesus did not say that. Instead, he made a much more startling assertion Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am, which was the Old Testament name of God. So Jesus combined two assertions whose sequence seems to make no sense. Before something in the past happened, something in the present happened. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, the Jewish leaders, they recognized at once what he said. He was not speaking in riddles or uttering nonsense. When Jesus said, I am, he was repeating the very words God used when he identified himself to Moses in Exodus 3, 14, I am who I am. So Jesus was claiming for himself the title, I am, by which God designates himself as the eternal existing one. Now, when the Jews heard this unusual, emphatic, solemn statement, they knew immediately Jesus was claiming to be God. So John 8, 59 says they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, hid himself, and then went out of the temple. So they knew exactly he was claiming to be God because they picked up stones to, to, to throw at him and stone him for blasphemy. Folks, you don't need much stronger of an assertion than John 8, 58 and 59 that Jesus, yes, did claim to be God and claim deity. Now, another strong claim to Jesus' deity is a statement that's made at the end of Revelation. Go to Revelation 22, 13. 
And Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When this is combined with a statement of God the Father in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, it also constitutes a strong claim that Jesus is equal deity with the Father. So Revelation 1.8 says, God is Alpha and Omega. Revelation 22.13, Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega. So it is a very strong claim to equal deity as God the Father, sovereign over all of history and all of creation. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Now go to John 1.1. John not only calls Jesus God, but he also refers to him as the word, the Greek word logos. John's readers would have recognized in this term logos a dual reference, both to the powerful creative word of God of the Old Testament by which the heavens and the earth were created, Psalm 33.6, and the organizing, unifying principle of the universe that held all things together and allowed us to make sense in Greek thinking of the word logos. Now, John is identifying Jesus with both of these ideas, saying he is not only the powerful, creative Word of God, but he's also the ongoing, unifying force in the universe that holds it together. John 1.14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So we have another strong claim to deity coupled with an explicit statement that Jesus was man and Jesus was God, both fully among us. Now, a couple of other thoughts and, and then we'll close. There are further, further claims of evidence to Jesus' deity that can be found that in the fact that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Now, this title, Son of Man, was the most common name Jesus used for himself. His most common name was, uh, that he called himself was not Son of God or Messiah. He called himself Son of Man. And this is used 84 times in the four Gospels. Not uh, but only of Jesus, but also to speak of himself the Son of Man. The rest of the New Testament, the phrase, the Son of Man, notice the definite article, the, the Son of Man, is used only once. In Acts 7.56, what was going on there? Stephen was being stoned, and he refers to Christ as he looked into heaven as the Son of Man. Now, this unique term has its background in the vision of Daniel in Daniel 7, where Daniel said, I saw one like a son of man who came to the ancient of days and was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. That's Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. So it's striking that this Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, according to Daniel 7, 13, 
in this passage clearly speaks of someone who had heavenly origin and was given an eternal rule over the whole earth. Now, the high priests, they, in Jesus' day, they, did, they didn't miss this fact. They did not miss the point of this passage. Whenever Jesus said, Matthew 26, 64, From now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's quoting Daniel 7, 13, and 14. It was unmistakable. The high priest knew it. The council knew it. They knew Jesus was claiming to be the eternal world ruler of heaven that was talked about in Daniel's vision. That's why immediately they responded in Matthew 26, the religious leaders, by saying, He utters blasphemy. He deserves death. Because they knew exactly what he was saying. He made explicit the strong claims to the eternal world ruler that Daniel talked about, the Son of Man, which meant he was God. Now let's talk about the title Son of God just a moment. Sometimes the title Son of God can simply be used to refer to an Israelite as a man created by God. It was used that way, Luke 3.38. Or it can be talked about redeemed persons in general. Romans 8, 14 and uh, verse 19, verse 23 all talk about the Son of Man. We are sons of, I'm rather, rather Son of God. We are sons of God whenever we become Christians. But yet there, there are instances in which the phrase capital S, Son of God, refers to Jesus as the heavenly, eternal Son who is equal to God. And the reason I say equal to God is because many of the religious groups today, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Unity Church, others, they say, well, of course Jesus was the Son of God. That doesn't mean He's God. The Son and the Father are different. They're different beings. In fact, I had a Jehovah's Witness tell me one time, you are not your son. You're different. He may be a chip off the old block. He may be like you, but He's not you. So Jesus, Jehovah's Witnesses say, is a chip off the old block. He's like God, but he isn't God. But the word son of God refers to a heavenly eternal son who is equal with God. You say, where's that found? Matthew eleven twenty five 25 to 30, Matthew 7, 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 28, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It all talks about Jesus being equal to God. This is especially true in John's gospel where Jesus is seen as a unique son from the Father who fully reveals the Father, a son who is so great we can trust him for eternal life, something that could be said of no created being. Only an eternal being can be trusted for eternal life. So Jesus is the one who has all authority from the Father to give life. And therefore, he existed before he came into the world as God. Now, let's talk about one other passage. A passage that our church here at First Baptist Church of Garland all memorized together a couple of months ago. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Powerful passage. The first three verses of Hebrew are emphatic in saying that the Son is the one to whom God appointed heir of all things and through whom 
also he created the world. This sun, says the writer of Hebrews, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature upholding the universe by the power of his word. So Jesus is the exact duplicate of the nature. The Greek word hypostasis is the word nature. So therefore, God becoming man or Jesus becoming God and man, both is called the hypostatic union coming from the Greek word for nature, hypostasis. So Jesus is the exact duplicate of the nature of God, making him exactly equal to God in every attribute. He continually upholds the universe by the word of his power, something only God could do, Jesus could do. So these passages combine to indicate that the title Son of God, when applied to Christ, strongly affirms his deity as the eternal Son in the Trinity equal to God the Father in all of His attributes. Well, thank you for joining us in our podcast this, uh, this week, and that is uh, the deity of Christ based on what Jesus said. Join us in our next podcast when we talk about how Jesus revealed that He's God in some of the things that He did. And I think that you'll find these very interesting. God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you next week.